In our ever-changing environment, it is important now, more than ever, to look at the way we're doing things. The initial step in changing our methods is changing our thinking. It is vital that we have the conversations to instigate and propel positive change within our industries and communities by looking at different ideas and adopting new mindsets. The Reset and Rethink podcast is about continuing our connectivity with rural and regional communities and the people that sustain them. It's an over-the-fence look at people's lives, ideas and actions that inspire us. We hear from strong individuals, community members, business owners and industry professionals who are making way for real change in their patch and beyond. Welcome to the Reset and Rethink podcast, brought to you by Cherub, empowering and supporting rural and regional communities to thrive. This podcast has been funded by the Local Buying Foundation. For more information on the foundation, visit their website at www.localbuyingfoundation.com.au. Good morning, David, and thank you for joining us on Cherup's new uh, podcast, Rethink and Reset. No worries. Um, Thanks for having me, Sarah. Um, now, David, I've had the pleasure of working with you for a couple of years now on a few different projects, and I've sat in on many of your workshops. Um, for those people who may not know um, who you are, um, would you be able to um, give us a bit of an introduction on who you are and what you do, please? Yeah, no worries. Um, I'm an agroecologist, Sarah, which is a funny way of sort of saying I work between ecology and agriculture, um, and I've done soil and farming system extension for uh, full-time now, about 12 years, but I've pretty much had a number of different extension and technical roles over my career, going back over 20 years. Um, and so I really enjoy sort of education and helping farmers build skills for themselves around soil management and farming systems management, grazing and cropping, etc. So, um, yeah, I do independent extension uh, for you guys as well as across sort of North Queensland and right through Victoria and New South Wales as well, just helping farmers and farm groups sort of build their skills around new ways of managing their soil mainly. Sounds good. So how did you... How did you get to where you are now in your job? Yeah, well, um, I sort of started my career off on a dairy doing a, a traineeship in New South Wales and I went through Hag College and dairying and then I decided I'd go on to uni and ended up uh, studying and I had to sort of make a decision to work full-time on the dairy or go and study. So I ended up in some uh, land care extension roles while I was studying and finishing my degree. Uh, and the degree I studied, which was a Bachelor of Ecological Agriculture at Sydney Uni back then, um, kind of focused a lot on rural change and supporting change with rural communities and farmers. So I kind of really was interested in that side of it as well as the technical side around farming systems and you know agronomy but I really enjoyed the change sort of side of it. So, yeah, I ended up sort of focusing a lot on extension and rural change and had an extension career in a few different jobs in New South Wales and Queensland. So, yeah, for over 
over my career had a few different roles. And so about 12 years ago, 11 years ago, I decided, yeah, I'd rather work for myself. I lost my job a few times and all that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I went out on my own just doing uh, consulting and, and mainly around extension projects. So that's sort of how I ended up here. It's just sort of gone from strength to strength, which is good. Yeah. Uh, what is it about the change aspect in agriculture that you became really interested in? Oh, well, I guess um, I think change, it's a bit of a cliche that, you know, everyone goes, oh, change is important and we're all changing and it's true. We constantly deal with change in our life. And I realised pretty early on in my career that farm businesses are probably a bit more complex than a normal business um, just because of the climate and environment as well as all the other things. So normal businesses have markets and, you know, um, uh, human resource issues and, planning and budgeting and finance and all of that and production. But I guess the challenge agriculture has is that you've got to deal with climate and the environment as well and managing a really complex landscape or what we call an ecology. So I realised that there's constant change in farming, farmers' lives and then there's always new ideas and new technologies and new, new um, silver bullets. So, yeah, I just realised that we all have to adapt and change and, and the moment in agriculture probably is a bit more change going on than, than has been in previous periods probably. Um, yeah, I enjoyed uh, learning ways to help sort of facilitate that change because you can go through change in different ways. You can sort of pretend it doesn't exist and it can really affect you or you can kind of get proactive and say, all right, well, I have to deal with this. Um, what are some ways forward? And I really learned that a lot when I worked on the dairy because the dairy industry at the time went through a restructuring program where they deregulated dairy in Queensland and New South Wales. And so I, I lived through that experience on the dairy and I saw how probably change wasn't done well in our community. So it really kind of motivated me to sort of think, oh, well, you can probably support farming communities a bit better than that through change because it has to happen. Um, and so how can we do it well and come out the other end of it in a positive position for our communities and our business. Um, yeah, definitely change is something that is always around us. So what do you think is important um, to have when you're going through a change process? What are the main elements, I guess, to uh, Yeah, um, well, I guess you've got to be really clear why you want to change. You know, a lot of people sometimes just change for the sake of it, but you know, change isn't for everyone and not everyone has to change the way their neighbours tell them they should or whatever. So you've got to be really clear why why you're trying to change, what you're trying to fix or what needs you're trying to make for your, for your situation. And then be confident that change isn't bad or you can manage it, even though there's a lot of uncertainty with change, especially really big change. So when you're, you know, implementing Land grazing, for example, or really changing the farm business around to a whole new way, it's quite a big change and it's, it's not something you should do lightly. But if you have some really clear goals, it'd be comfortable that you're going to have to be a bit flexible and, and adapt and learn new things. So I guess if you go into it with that mindset, it makes it a bit easier. But it's definitely not always easy to do and there's challenges, but you get challenges in life anyway. So. It's just being really clear that, yes, I need to change, I'm committed to making change and I've got to be a bit flexible, you know, as to the way it's going to happen. Yeah. And so you could see that change is something that is important and needs to be um, stepped through. 
and and it fitted in nicely with your extension role and um, around soil health. Um, so what is it about working with people and helping them with their soils that um, you enjoy the most? Oh, well, I guess I enjoy seeing people build their own confidence in things for themselves. And so I guess I ended up as a bit of a soil specialist more, let's say, by um, luck, but I kind of had a few roles that were quite technical jobs I had where I had to be quite skilled up on my soils. I was in an R&D role for a fertiliser company. So I had to kind of really build this, my soil skills and professional capacity. So once I started to get back in extension, that was a natural area that I sort of was quite good at doing extension because I had quite a lot of technical competence in soils and soil tests and managing soils. Um, and I just enjoy uh, helping people to build their own skills and so they can make their own decisions, whether it's soils or any other aspect of farm management that I sort of work in. But, yeah, it's just I guess it's probably a bit of a natural teacher in me that I enjoy helping people to build their own uh, capacity to do things for themselves. Okay. So let's go down the soils track a yep. bit. Yeah. Um, so for people who are listening that um, may not have put a, a lot of thought into what soils are and how they um, how they work, would you be able to uh, give us um, a rundown on the basics of what soil is and how it's formed? Yeah, no worries. Well, I guess the first thing sort of I often get across, as you know, Sarah, is that soil is an asset in your business. It's a piece of your natural capital. And, you know, when people buy a country, they usually buy a couple of million dollars minimum. And the main thing you're buying is your topsoil and the vegetation. So the topsoil is there all the time. It's a it, it's what cycles nutrients. It's what captures water plant growth so it, it supplies nutrients to the soil and the landscape and the animals and plants so it's really a key capital asset in the business if you like production producing cattle or growing crops so it's a really important asset and I guess it comes mainly from your minerals so most people have different soil types so there's not just one type of soil as most people would know and so I guess the really important thing is to treat your soil as an asset and any asset in the farm business, you need to look after it. So we need to look after our soil asset. And the term we use for that is soil health. Uh, and whatever soil type you're on, sandy soil, heavy black soil, uh, red soils, you need to look after them and keep them in working order. And so you kind of have to understand your different soil types and their kind of capacity, and then also look after them and keep them in good condition or keep them healthy, because they'll capture more water for you. Uh, they'll cycle the nutrients better and they'll grow you more grass, basically. So I guess that's the challenge of, of soil extension is, and that's what we do in the workshops, is just trying to help people really appreciate that the soils are an asset and that uh, and how to practically sort of manage them so they are kept healthy and productive. Um, so where do your soil characteristics come from? So people are um, looking at their soils and wanting to get a better understanding, um, what key characteristics should they be looking at? Yeah, right. So the, I guess the first part of your soil understanding is knowing about soil types. And the reason that your soil's red or brown or grey or yellow is pretty much from the minerals. So soils, the topsoil 
pretty, all topsoils pretty much form from two main processes, the plants and the life growing into them from photosynthesis and the minerals that they form from, so the rocks they come from. So a lot of the key aspects of your soil, including the total fertility of the soil, how much phosphorus is in it, how much sulfur is in it, etc., how much calcium is in that top, top soil, come from the minerals as the rocks break down. And the second thing that that mineral gives your soil, or those minerals give your soil, is a texture, so the feel of the soil. Is it heavy clay or is it a sandier feel? Uh, and so those two really important things come out of the soil minerals, which have come from the rocks. So the rocks mightn't be around anymore, but originally those minerals came from rocks. Uh, a couple of other things do come from the rocks or the minerals into your soil, and one is colour. Obviously, the colour of your soil is determined by the minerals. And a, a fourth one is what we call the soil's colloid or CEC, which is a bit of a technical aspect of the soil, but basically... It gives your soil a particular charge or electric charge on some of its surface. So those four things, your total fertility, your texture, this charge in your soil, what we call the CEC, and the colour, they've really come from the rocks or the minerals that your soil is formed from. Thank you. So what does people are looking at their soils, they've gone through, they've looked at all those, they're starting to look at those different characteristics. They're probably going to start thinking about what makes up a healthy soil. How or how do you um, assess whether your soil is healthy or or not? Yeah, so I guess the soil type, whether you've got a red soil, a black soil, a sandy soil, you can't really change that much. It's just what you've got to live with. But each of your soil types, you need to keep them in good condition. And so the term we use for that is soil health. Uh, and, yeah, it's a bit like an asset, like a vehicle, like a ute or a truck. You know, there's a bit of a checklist you use to check the condition of the truck. You know, okay, does it have four wheels or six wheels or however many wheels it has? Are the tyres in good condition? Is the body in good condition? Does the gearbox work? Does it have a windscreen? Is it blowing black smoke? So you, you kind of, to know whether your, your truck's in working order, you kind of go through a checklist. And you don't worry about fuel in the tank immediately you just it's more important to worry about is the vehicle in working order and then I can put fuel in the tank to get it to go so it's the same with soil like all your different soil types there's a kind of a checklist you have to go through to see whether they're in good condition and they can do a job for you so if you think about the jobs that soils do for you on your property the first one is they capture and store water so soil in good condition has what we call good structure and it will capture and store a whole lot more water than a soil, soil with poor structure. The second really important job that a topsoil will do for you is it cycles nutrients. So whatever nutrients are in the landscape, if you're in a grazing landscape, the way they cycle is through the topsoil. So if you want plants to get nutrients, you've really got to have a soil that's got good biology in it because it's the community of life and the plant roots that cycle nutrients from the minerals. Uh, and so, and from the air as well, nitrogen comes in the air so the second job it does is it cycles nutrients uh, a third really important job that soils do is they kind of um, if you're in cropping they regulate pests soil-borne pests because the beneficials in the soil community keep them in check so a healthy soil has good beneficial organisms in the soil and a final thing that a healthy topsoil does for your business is it, it keeps a healthy landscape 
So you just moderate the temperature with ground cover. You've got better temperature at surface, less dust. More soil organisms means more biodiversity in the landscape. So it kind of does four or five things for you, your topsoil. So if you have a, if you sort of have a checklist, you can sort of check whether it's in good condition. And, and we have a checklist with things like organic matter, carbon to nitrogen ratio, ground cover, um, sometimes pH, sometimes sodium in the soil. So there's a little bit of a checklist you can use to see whether your soil's in good condition and, and, and doing what it should be doing. So where that sounds like a pretty handy checklist. Yes, um, and that's that's obviously the one we've been using with, with some of the groups and the webinars and the face-to-face workshops. Yeah, yeah. Um, are there any other tools such as that checklist um, that producers can use out in the paddock to help guide them through assessing their soils? Yeah, for sure. So I guess that checklist, you know, there's a few things on it, like ground cover and, and water infiltration or structure. So the two ways to kind of assess your soil health with that checklist is one, you can use a soil test because some of those things you can read on a soil test. But the second way is to get out with a spade in the paddock. And so the approach we use for sort of checking soil health, soil condition in the field out in the paddock is what we call the RASH approach or the rapid assessment of soil health. And that's a bit of a toolkit that we've developed that just helps a grazier or, or a cropper go through a checklist to say, yep, I've got my soil's in pretty good issue, pretty good condition, or it's got a few issues, you know, there's not enough organic matter or the ground's too hard, it's compacted. So it just helps you troubleshoot. So yeah, we, we've developed something called the RASH system, rapid assessment of soil health, and that's available as a with a series of videos to help guide people through checking their soil health out in the paddock. Where would people be able to find the rash manual and the video? Uh, I think it's on YouTube and it's on the Dry Tropics, NQ Dry Tropics website. Uh, it's also on the Soil Land Food website. We've got links to it there as well. Sounds good. Um, it, so once people have gone out in the paddock and they've started to collect, uh, assess their soils, from there, what do they do? Do they need to um, benchmark their soils? Yeah, so you, you obviously you're checking things like organic matter, ground cover, um, pH sometimes, whatever it is. And then when you do find your result or assess your result, you've got to kind of compare that to some standard, which we call benchmarking. So if we use organic matter, for example, you know, every soil needs some organic matter. Without it, it won't function properly. And so, you, you know, you might have 2% organic matter or 4% organic matter. So you've got to sort of say, well, is that a good or a bad number? So the way we do that is we benchmark it against kind of um, targets that for your area, and that can be a little bit tricky sometimes, but you can kind of benchmark and say, all right, well, I've got a good level of organic matter or a poor level. And once you've assessed that, you can then decide, do I need to do something to repair the soil or regenerate the soil? So if you're low in organic matter, for example, you've got to decide, well, what can I do? Or if ground cover's really low, to decide well how can I improve this so really by going through sort of assessing soil health it helps you target where you put your effort into soil management because it's really easy to spend money on soils um, or make big decisions and not necessarily get the right result so it's really about targeting your actions and your and your efforts in the right way to improve your soil asset um what would be um 
in terms of, so if you've got a soil that you've had a look at, you've seen that there are aspects that you can improve. Um, in a grazing system, what are the tools that you can have, that you have um, at hand that can um, help you to build soil health? Yeah, well, pretty much in grazing landscapes, the number one tool is grazing management and then the number two tool is grazing management and the third tool is grazing management. So it's pretty much the biggest lever you have. And the reason that it's such an important tool is that the, the way in a, in a grassland or, or a woodland situation, the main way that topsoil forms is from the perennial grasses. So obviously the trees influence it too, but the perennial grasses and their root system is what improve, which is what optimizes the topsoil. The root systems of perennial grasses create soil structure. It improves water holding and it, it drives the nutrient cycling in that landscape. So anything you can do to improve the root system of your perennial grasses is the key here for grazing soil management in grazing landscapes. So that's really about strategic or planned rotational grazing, whatever term people use. I know there's about 50 different terms for it, but it's the principles behind all of them are the same. It's about grazing the right amount of grass each grazing event, so utilising the grass to the right amount and then strategically resting the paddock so the grasses can recover. So it's about um, how much you graze each time, when you graze each time, and then allowing that recovery for the perennial grass because as it regrows on top, it's regrowing underneath and, and that root volume is what's really creating and maintaining healthy topsoil. So it's all about grazing management. And I know there's sort of more, more than one way to skin the cat, but the principle's the same behind all of those techniques. Yeah, so that just again highlights how important it is to keep, keep track of your grass and um, how, how you use it. Correct, yeah, it's all about grass management because that's how you manage your soil at the end of the day and and grass growth will be limited by moisture. Um, you know, the, one of the big limiting factors for grass is moisture and the other big one is nutrient levels and so obviously you can influence moisture levels in the soil, you can't influence rainfall, but you can influence effective rainfall, how much of the rain is going into the topsoil by keeping good soil structure. And what, what some of the trials have shown over the years is, you know, you can increase the infiltration of rainfall into your topsoil by tenfold through changing your grazing management. So that's a significant amount more water that's going in rather than running off your landscape. So, yeah, grazing management's the tool really at the end of the day. It sounds like everything is all very connected and by changing one thing, you can really influence another. Um, so how does soil biology and microbes all come into the picture? Yeah, well, that's the, you're right, everything is connected and that's why we call it an ecosystem or ecology or landscape. And I guess the way, and it all goes back to the first plants that evolved on, on the land, really, as they first evolved out of the sea where life started on planet Earth. And so plants came up on the land or started to adapt to the land out of the ocean and they had to access their nutrients and most of the nutrients are in minerals so they're sort of tied up in mineral forms so there's been microbes living within partnership with plants from those very early plants and so the plants that we see trees and grasses they've evolved this part over 400 million years they've evolved 
to live with this community of microbes around their roots. And so they've evolved together over all that time. And the, the deal in the partnership is um, that the plants give some of their photosynthesis or their sugar, their energy that they get from photosynthesis, they feed that into the soil through their roots. And in return, the microbes in the soil, because they're getting energy from the plant, their carbohydrates, in return, they can supply nutrients that they're able to unlock from the minerals. So there's been this two-way deal. Plants give energy, microbes give nutrients to the plant, and they've, they've sort of it's a party that's evolved together. So that's why there's lots of microbes in your soil around the roots, uh, and then lots of other soil organisms have evolved that live in that community that either eat plant material like organic matter or they eat bacteria and fungi. And they, so there's this really complex community of life in your topsoil and it's all co-evolved together. So they all need each other. If you take away plants and you have just bare ground, the life shuts down. And what that shuts down is the formation of soil. So you lose the soil structure, you lose the nutrient cycling that you need. So that's why keeping living plants is critical. Um, but yeah, that's how they fit in the picture and pretty much from them, everything else, birds, all of that other aspects of our landscapes really depend on that soil community initially. So I'm starting to see that soil is really the foundation of a grazing system or a cropping system and very much has an influence on the productivity of um, your systems. Absolutely, yeah. You can have all the fertility you like in the world in the topsoil, but if it's not cycling and there's no water for the plants to use, then that fertility is pretty much wasted. So a lot of people often spend more money per hectare buying basalt country or, you know, the, the better country, as people call it, and often it has more fertility in it. Um, but if, that, if you're not looking after that soil, then it won't be cycling those nutrients. So you really won't be getting value for your money um, it's wasted potential, really. So yeah, it is. It's a it's a key asset in the business. And everything else uh, relies on it, and it's there 365 days of the year. So yeah, it's not like you can complain when it's not there, like rain or you know. And the government hasn't legislated it yet, so that's even better. So you know, you own it. It's part of your business. It's there 100 of the time, so it's under your control. And you, it's, if it's in poor condition, there's only one person who can wait. And it's not me, it's not you. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you own it, you've got to look after it. So, for listeners that are with us, if they're starting to have a think and are becoming curious about what's going on with their soil and what condition it is, what are the top three? Um, um, things that you would suggest that people um, go and do if they want to start looking into and assessing their soil? Yeah, well, I guess get out on your different soil types and land types with a spade is a really good first step. And the things that you're really starting to look for, and these things most people have heard about, but ground cover is really important. So are you keeping good ground cover, you know, 70 80% ground cover towards the end of the dry, you know, if you're able to maintain Good ground cover. I know that's not always achievable on all land types, but you've really got to see ground cover at the end of the dry, and also uh, maintaining perennial pasture species. You know, so that they're ready to regrow on the first rains. So you're looking for those things. 
particularly because that's what really drives the rest of the soil function. But also digging plants up and having a look how deep their roots are going is another really good thing to do. So I guess get out with a spade, ground cover, um, perennial pasture density in the landscape. And uh, the third one there is just the depth of roots of the perennial grasses. Are they going down to, to quite deep into the soil? But there are things you can do with a spade. There are obviously other tips and tools you can do that the rash manual has, but they're probably the first three to start with. And, and if you are struggling with those three, if they're sort of below um, sort of reasonable ranges, then uh, it's probably think, starting to think about what, how can I change things up um, so that I can look after the landscape and the soil a bit better because it, it will grow me more grass. So if I grow, you know, if you grow grace well, you will grow more grass. And so that's the, um, the key principle here at the end of the day, we're trying to grow more grass so we can have more productive um, businesses. That, that um, sounds like a really good place to, to leave it and some really key, some really good key messages um, have definitely come out of today's conversation and one of them and one of my main takeaways is that soils are an asset in your business and are the foundation and um, there are some really um, easy ways that you can get out in your paddock with a shovel and assess them. Um, Absolutely yeah no it's um it sometimes can seem like a complex topic but yeah, if you just take it steady and keep to the basics, it doesn't have to be. Thank you very much for joining us today, David. No worries, Sarah. Thank you for having me. No worries. Well, that's it for today's episode. We can't wait for you to tune in with us next time. In the meantime, if you are enjoying our podcast series, please share, rate and subscribe so we can continue creating this content for you all.